If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. So I want to start tonight like this. I don't know if this has ever happened in church before, but I'm going to start our Christian service tonight by telling you a story coming from Greek mythology. I don't know if that's ever happened in church. So don't, don't scream, heresy, false teacher. Don't do that yet, okay? Because I'm not going to be preaching out of Greek mythology. But there's a story I want to tell you tonight. It's fictional, obviously, like, I hope you know that, but bear with me just for a second. Second, There's a story in Greek mythology, it goes like this. It's the story of Pandora's box. Ever heard? You know, like, if anyone ever accused you of your room is like Pandora's box, like, it's complete chaos in there. There's a story and it goes like this. Zeus, uh, one of the main characters in Greek mythology, he creates a bunch of stuff. And then he creates a woman by the name of Pandora, right? He gives Pandora a very special assignment. He gives her a box. And he tells her, Pandora, this box you need to guard with your life. But most importantly, make sure you never open the box. Why? Because in this box that I am handing to you, mistake number one, never hand a child something to like protect and keep safe. Like what do you think they'll end up doing? He tells her because in this box lives and resides all the evil in the world. Death, sickness, poverty, potholes, inflation, the government, like everything that is wrong in the universe lives inside this box. And if you open the box, they'll escape and they will pollute this garden of like peace and tranquility that we have. Pandora goes, I got you, like cool, how hard can that be? Two seconds later, curiosity gets the better of Pandora. She opens the box. And out of the box flies death, sickness, pain, poverty, potholes, the government, inflation, that thing that keeps buffering on your Netflix account, everything that is wrong with the world flies out of the box. Pandora realizes her mistake and she slams the box shut at the very last second before the last thing escapes. Because Zeus said to her, didn't mention this, he said to her, in this box resides everything that's wrong with the world. But also in this box, there's a remedy. You have to keep it safe. Don't let it escape. She slams it shut right before the last thing flies out. The last thing, hope. You see, hope is something that even in Greek mythology, people can't live without. Let me tell you a story that's a little more real. Actually happened. There's a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. He is a world-renowned uh, Austrian psychiatrist and neurologist. His way of thinking actually greatly influenced the way psychology is dealt with today. He was a survivor in the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. After his liberation, he went on to write a book called Man's Search for Meaning. 
And in this book, he writes, there's a few chapters where he writes about this very idea. You see, because while stuck as a prisoner of war, witnessing probably one of the worst atrocities that has ever happened to date, he started asking the question, why do some people that go through the exact same suffering, living as a slave in a concentration camp against my will, subjected to manual labor that physically breaks backs and lets people die, why did some people survive and go on to actually lead healthy, successful lives and other people that also survived or my, those that survived, some of them did like fell apart after liberation, got stuck in trauma and addictions and way to try and cope with what they've just been through. He saw something strange. Some people had something in them that made them different. And he says in this book, he could see day after day after day, spending years in one of the worst like possible suffering scenarios that someone can spend in. He said this, he could see, and I'm going to quote it to you. It says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, hope. He said he could see survivors that went on to lead healthy lives. They were the ones that during their captivity kept saying and believing and speaking amongst themselves that there has to be meaning to what they're going through. There has to be a hope for after this. Those that kept speaking about their families that they want to see. Those that kept speaking about their children that they want to see grow up and their grandchildren. He could see the difference in captivity. Those that had a hope. Some of them survived. <laughs> and those that did survive went on to actually lead good, healthy, productive lives. But he said the number one killer, he, said, he says this in his book, the number one killer in the concentration camps during World War II was not the gas chambers, it was hopelessness. He could see it. The second someone loses hope, they die on the inside. And then he writes, you could see it a couple of days later, their body would give in as well. You see, hope, my friend, is something you and I cannot live without. The Hebrew word for hope, it's so interesting. Everyone say this with me, but the Hebrew word for hope is tikva. Tikva. It's not a tick that sucks the blood out of you, but tikva. And tikva in Hebrew literally means to tie or bind with a rope. You see, that is what the, he the writer of Hebrews is getting at when he says in Hebrews 6 verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. He's writing about my hope is something that anchors me. My hope is something that ties me and that binds me to something that is firm and secure no matter where I'm at, what I'm going through. Now the question, because we're going to be speaking a lot about hope this year. It's actually our year theme, as Brent mentioned last week as well. So we're going to spend a lot of time on hope in this year. 
But I want to ask this question. What is the difference between this hope that we're speaking about, this anchor for my soul that keeps me on a firm and secure foundation? What's the difference between that hope and hoping for good weather or hoping for good health? Here's the difference. Because you see, at any moment where you say, let's take an example, where you say, I'm hoping for good weather, in that very same breath, you are already admitting to dread. Why? Because if you say, I'm hoping for good weather, you are already admitting that bad weather is a possibility, right? If I say, I'm hoping for good health, you are already admitting that something bad is possible. You could get a doctor's phone call and he could give you bad news. If I say I'm hoping that inflation will drop or that the petrol price will be better, in the very same breath, I'm admitting that it might not. Can you see the difference? At any point, if I'm putting hope in something, I'm saying there's a chance this might not work out. That is where hope, Christian hope, biblical hope, hope in the God of the Bible is different. Let me read you a scripture, Romans 15, verse 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The message paraphrase says it like this. May the God of hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. That's the difference. Do you hear the difference between the God of hope and hoping for good weather? The God that anchors me, that is secure, that is a firm foundation and hoping for good health. <laughs> hoping for a better inflation rate, hoping for a better petrol price. There's a possibility on this side that it might not go that way. There's no possibility of that with God. He is secure. He is the firm foundation. You see, hope is this belief, and we've actually put it up on our walls. You can read it with me there. It says, hope is this belief that as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. As it is in heaven, so be it in Bloemfontein. Here is what that means. As hope is constantly erupting in heaven, so be it on earth. As worship is the most natural posture for anyone currently in heaven, in the presence of Jesus before the throne, so be it on earth. As the creation, people and everything that God creation is being lit up with glory in heaven, so be it on earth. As peace reigns in heaven, so be it on earth. As Christ rules and has ultimate authority in heaven, so be it right here on earth. Too many Christians are overwhelmed by anxiety, a lack of joy, purposelessness. Why? Because you're not practicing real hope. 
Too many Christians, and I'm often included in that, too many Christians sit and wait for God to come back because then and then only things will be made right. But the Christian hope says, if there's hope in heaven at this moment, there can be hope right where I am at. If there is joy in heaven at this moment, there can be joy where I'm at. If there's peace and love and grace and God's rule and authority, if that's in heaven at this moment, hope says, so be it right now, right here where I'm at today. That's the difference. Hope is how, get this, because I know the kingdom of God and the rule and the reign of God, it can be so out there for us as Christians. You know, it's easy to pray, you know, and shout and be like, God, let your kingdom come. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Hope is the mechanism. Hope is the way in which the kingdom of God is made real and tangible right here, right now. It's the vehicle. Hope is the way Christ that is the king is making himself known right now right here. In Isaiah 40 verse 31, we read how those who hope in the Lord, they don't grow weary. There's another difference. Do you hear the difference? He says those who hope in what? In, the, in a person. Those who hope in the Lord don't grow weary. They soar. They have purpose. They have vision. They have joy. They know where they're going. They know why they're here. They know whose they are. You see, hope in anything else will somewhere disappoint you. If you hope in me or Brent, somewhere will disappoint you. I promise. <laughs> Amen, right? If you hope in your bank account, somewhere it'll disappoint you. All the young adults are like, every month, I know. <laughs> if you hope in your boyfriend or girlfriend, get this, somewhere they will disappoint you. If you hope, <laughs> if you hope in the government, I know we're disappointed all the time, but probably somewhere you'll be disappointed. I hope you register to vote. It's really important. <laughs> Quick ad break. So it's too late now, so woo, we're in the hands of God, my friends. So how do I make this real for me where I'm at? As a young person, as a student, as a, a working adult that goes to an office, to a boss I hate, or to an environment that's challenging, you know, as a student on campus with other students and they're difficult and they don't want Jesus, or your lecturer is just silly and they have no clue what they're talking about, how do I... Make this real for where I'm at. Two quick ideas for tonight. Firstly, you behold the king and his kingdom. Secondly, you release his presence. It's easy as that. How do I make real hope in my own life? Firstly, you behold the king and his kingdom. Secondly, you release his presence wherever you go. What does it mean to behold? To behold something is actually quite simple. It means this, whatever has your attention most of the time, that's what you're busy beholding. Whatever has all your energy, whatever is where the money trail leads at the end of each month, when you look at your bank statements, students are like, what are bank statements? But there's a bank statement. 
Whatever you spend most of your energy on, that is the thing that you're beholding the most. (laughs) To behold means I give attention to, I focus, I gaze upon, I'm fixated on. And your life, my friend, at this stage is simply a big canvas of the things you behold to everyone. Take a second to consider, what are you beholding? You see, if you behold social media, social media will define you. If you behold financial security, your bank account will define you. If you behold your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your sticky, your whatever, that will define you. If you behold your sexuality, guess what? Sexuality will define you. If you behold Christ and his kingdom, guess what? Christ and his kingdom will define you. My question is this, what are you most fixated on? I think a lot of times, again, Christians, we have very little joy, very little purpose, and Christianity sometimes in our journey becomes quite stale and mundane. I put it to you tonight that maybe the problem is that your beholding has become a little distracted. Let me illustrate it like this. Have you ever experienced a Bloemfonteiner by the ocean? It's obvious, right? You can spot a freestater on the beach from a mile away. Firstly, if it's a guy from the two-tone tan, like you can see it's very, very obvious. Secondly, it can be Hurricane Katrina. Guess what? There will be an umbrella. Underneath that umbrella on the beach, there will be a Blumfontainer. Because no matter the weather, we go to the beach. It can be Arctic freezing temperatures. Do not tell someone from the free state, it's too cold to swim in the ocean. We'll show you. (laughs) We are the ones that's still on the like main road. It's 120 kilometers, wind blowing past you, but I put my head out to get the picture of the ocean so that I can make a status like, wow, baby, see ya. We are the ones in cars, literally in competition. This is my favorite moment as a kid. Every year when we go on holiday, who can spot the ocean first, right? Who sees the ocean first? Because whoever sees the ocean first gets an ice cream or whatever, right? I never won. I'm small. I have two big brothers. I have friends that live in coastal areas. Obviously, a lot of us have friends that live in coastal areas. Some of us come from coastal areas. And I've had conversations over years now from people that have lived in coastal areas their whole lives. And guess what? For most of them, living by the ocean gets boring. Can you believe that? I'm like, you make me want to cuss if you say things like that. As a Bloemfonteiner that sees the ocean hopefully once a year, don't you dare say things like that. Profanity. (laughs) People that live in coastal areas, they tend to get used to the ocean. The roar of the ocean kind of becomes white noise at some point. The salty smell of the air kind of becomes just a part of life, you know? I know all of us are like, isni, can't isni, uh-uh, it happens. Why? Because they get used to it. They're used to seeing this, this magnitude and this body of water, and it's so impressive and so incredible. 
I think sometimes in faith we do the same. God and His kingdom become so stale because I've been a Christian for years. I grew up in a Christian home. I go to church each, each Sunday. So the roar of worship, the roar and the magnitude of who God is and His grace and His mercy and His love and His covering over my life becomes mundane. Fast forward a few months or a few years and I can't understand why I'm not excited to go to church. I don't understand why my prayer life feels dull. I can't understand why when I open up the Bible and I spend time in the Word, it's as if nothing is happening. Maybe, it can be because of a lot of reasons, but maybe it's because your beholding has become distracted. When I was preparing this, I had this prayer in my heart. I want all of us to, in faith, be Bloemfonteiners at the sea. <laughs> because a Bloemfonteiner at the sea, they relish each and every moment. I will sleep in the sand if I have to, because I'm only going to see the beach in a year again. So I will spend as much time as possible putting my face into it, going into the water, you know, like swallowing salt and, and sea, and it's incredible, and I nearly die, but it's fun. I will eat ice cream morning, noon, and night. You are not allowed to eat any other food by the sea other than seafood. That's a rule. <laughs> My prayer to us is that we'll be in faith, not like reality, but in faith, in the kingdom of God, we'll be like Bloemfonteiners by the sea, <laughs> relishing each opportunity I get to behold God to see Him, to spend time with Him, to speak with Him, to read His Word and to allow His Holy Spirit to engage with me. Is the good news good to you? Is it good to your heart tonight? Because if not, maybe it's because your beholding has become a little bit distracted. Maybe you need to just spend some time again in this next season, beholding Christ and His kingdom and what He's done for you and His grace and His mercy and His love and His purpose and His plans that He has for you. How do you make hope real? How do you make the kingdom of God tangible in the here and now? Before you release His presence, you have to behold him and his kingdom. It's as simple as that. It's not the milk of Christianity, my friends. That is the stake of Christianity. Beholding Christ and his kingdom. You think angels and giants are impressive. Get this. There's a God who loves you. That is the stake of Christianity. Chew on that. I behold him. First Peter 1 verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully. Kind of sounds like beholding, right? Set your hope fully on the grace that will, be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. You see, it's the revelation of Christ that gives me hope. Worship songs don't give me hope. 
even a reading plan, it's great, but it doesn't give me hope. You know what gives me hope in the year and now? A revelation of Christ. How do I get a revelation of Christ? I behold Him. <laughs> Secondly and lastly, before we end off together, I need to behold making hope real, making the kingdom of God tangible in the year and now, not something airy-fairy, but making hope, that statement of as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. I need to behold Christ and his kingdom. Secondly, I need to release his presence. We're going to spend some time on that in the next few weeks as well, that idea of you and I, once I behold, once I'm in awe, once I am a spiritual Bloemfonteiner at the sea, once I do that, then I can release his kingdom and his presence where I go. Psalm 84 verse 5 to 6 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you or whose hope is in you. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Baca is the Hebrew word for weeping. And get this, it says, Those who hope in God, as they go through the valley of weeping, who makes it a place of springs? They, those who hope in God, make places of weeping, places of springs. It doesn't say God makes it a place of springs. We know that it's implied. How does God make it a place of springs? He uses the individual walking through the valley of weeping. That means you as a student, guess what? When you go to class tomorrow morning, guess what? You usher in the king and his kingdom. When you skip class and you stay at home with your friends in the student home, guess what? In that space, you usher in the king and his kingdom. When you go to McDonald's or to Spar to pick and pay, guess what? You are the one ushering in the king and his presence. To the adults, the young working crowd in the room, guess what? When you go to that office space tomorrow morning, to the school or to the hospital or to the business or to the wherever you find yourself at this stage, guess what? You are the one ushering in the presence of Jesus in that space. But how do I do that? I have to behold Him first. You see, I think so often we jump to the trying to release His kingdom but then it's like at the end of the month trying to get toothpaste out of the holder. You like do everything you can and you like break your thumb, you step on it, you roll it up, you know, you like squeeze it out and you might get a little drop. That's what happens if you try to release the kingdom without beholding Christ first. It's like that. <laughs> I want to invite the worship team to join me. So I think we need to respond to this. I think sometimes we tend to overcomplicate it. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we think, Aiden, it can't be that simple. Give me the list. Give me steps one to 10 on how does Christianity work? What can I do? What can't I do? How far is too far? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Don't tell me Christianity is as easy and as simple as beholding Christ. It is. It's that simple. Beholding Christ. F being fixated on Christ. Gazing on Christ. 
That means to behold means that his opinion matters most in my life. His authority is the final authority in my life. His thoughts, his ways, his actions, his heart, his purpose becomes my purpose. His thoughts become my thoughts. His way of loving becomes my way of loving. Jesus' way of doing life becomes my way of doing life. That is what it means to behold. It is that simple. Don't complicate it with this and that. My prayer for us tonight, we're going to pray together in a second, is that thing, that you and I will be Bloemfonteiners by the sea in the kingdom of God, relishing His presence. Can I invite you to stand with me? We need to respond to this. I think some of us need to have a little bit of an injection of joy when it comes to our Christian walk, right? Some of us need to have a reminder of the purpose that God has for my life. Some of us need to be reminded that I'm not what I've done. I'm not what's been done to me. I'm not the temptation I'm working through. I'm not the struggles I have. Some of us need to have a little bit of joy released in your Christian walk in this next season. And get this, how you get there is not by trying harder. It's not by having a 100% attendance record when it comes to church, even though we want you here, so do that. It's not about not sinning and being a better Christian. If you want an injection of joy in your walk with Jesus, Jesus, my friend, what you need is to behold Christ in His kingdom. You need to gaze on Him. Fix your eyes on Him. Turn your attention to Him. And that's our prayer before we respond in worship. So if that prayer rings true in your own heart, won't you just in some way open up your hands, your arms. You can kneel down on your knees if you want to. You can sit, you can lie. You can do whatever you need to do in this moment to posture yourself in such a way where you are able to surrender. Why don't you just start praying in your own words? Just pray, God, I want to surrender. I want to behold you. Just pray in your own words. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. as a church can be known for a lot of things. We can be known for our epic services with lights and a band and it's cool. We can be known for coffee and a vibe and fellowship. We can be known for our courses that we do and the groups that we run. And that's great, Jesus. But tonight, Father, we want to stand and pray in faith that we would be known as a church that beholds Christ, whose attention and whose gaze is fixated on you, Jesus. We pray in faith for our own hearts to be surrendered to you. God, thank you for your finished work on the cross through your Son. Thank you that we are not only invited to be sons and daughters in the kingdom, but to be ambassadors for the kingdom. 
God, we pray tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and grace us with the the ability to gaze upon you, but come and grace us with the boldness to release your presence wherever we go. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.